Come on, let's pray. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to teach us today. And I mean that. He is the teacher. Just open yourselves up to the Holy Spirit right now and just ask Him to teach you. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We thank you you're here today. We thank you that you know the Word of God because you wrote it. And we ask that you bust through and break through our doubts, our unbelief, and our fears today and increase faith in all of us, those here today, those listening and watching online, so that mountains can be moved this year, starting today, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, come on, everybody said, come on, we're the army of God. I'm telling you, hell trembles when God's army wakes up. And faith is the key to releasing heaven on earth. So this faith series, the goal of it, the point of it is for you to experience faith arising inside of you. And when it happens, you will know it because it's like you cross a line on the inside of yourself and you, ex- you feel fear because you feel faith. Like, oh, wait a minute. This feels different. I was fearing. You don't even know how much you're fearing and how much you're unbelieving until you Taste faith. Like, whoa. It's kind of like when you're sick and then you were healed. You didn't even realize how sick you were because the healing feels so good. You get so comfortable with sickness that when the healing comes, you don't realize that you that sickness just became part of who you were. But when you get healed, you're like, oh, my gosh, I forgot what this feels like. That's what it's like when you experience faith. Faith is divine oxygen. And it moves mountains. Will you say this clear on cry with us today, with me today? Let's say this out loud. We walk by faith, not by sight. Say it again out loud. We walk by faith, not by sight. Okay, now, if if faith wasn't real, if it wasn't tangible, if it wasn't something that was concrete, how could you walk by it? You see, in the spiritual realm, the realm that was here before the natural realm, faith is real. It's concrete. It's a muscle. It moves things. That's why we read in Hebrews 11.1, it says this, Now faith is the assurance, the title deed, the confirmation of the things hoped for, divinely guaranteed. You know, there's over 7,000 promises in the Bible. And we've learned that faith comes by hearing the word of God. So if you don't know the Bible, you're missing out on the source of supernatural faith. And you don't even know the promises that you're supposed to be connecting or that you can connect your faith to, to bring heaven on earth. That's why it is essential that you and I read the Bible, memorize the Bible, meditate the Bible. It is the supernatural source of faith. It is God food to your spirit, soul, and to your mind. And faith comes. There's over 7,000 promises, the divinely guaranteed promises of God. That's what that scripture right there says. And it's the evidence. Faith is the evidence of the thing not seen. Listen to this. It is the conviction of their reality. Faith, here's the big, here's the mother load right here. Faith comprehends 
as fact. What cannot, cannot be experienced by the physical senses. When you have something by faith that has not yet come to pass, your healing, financial breakthroughs, Mr. or Mrs. Wright, ministry fruition, whatever it might be, when you don't see it, you don't feel it, you don't hear it, it's not in existence in the natural realm, you can literally have it by faith before you ever see it. When you have it by faith, it's literally like you have it in your hand. I know there are times in my life, and I'm not going to reteach this. You don't want to listen to last week's message in particular, the difference between faith and hope, which I taught. They're two completely separate things. And I'm not going to reteach that. And I told you stories about how I had things and people had things by faith before they ever manifested. And then because you already had them, you don't have to be talked about, talked to about it. People can't talk you out of it. You don't even need any more encouragement about it. I have it. And then eventually it manifests. But today what I would teach about is the gap between I know I have it to here it is. Now this gap in between I believe I received it when I prayed for it and here it is, is where many of us fall short. Because when it doesn't happen like that, we shut off our faith. And I believe, I know, because I'm part of it, you and I and many people have missed out on so much of what God wanted to do because we shut off our faith too soon. And that's what I want to teach on today. You see this, this, these, these pair running together all through the Bible, and that is faith and patience. The virtue we all hate so much. And one prayer you don't want to pray is, oh, God, give me patience. Because the way patience comes is by annoyance and by trials and suffering and irritating people. That's how patience is developed. Faith and patience. Most, But here's the thing. Most things in life, most things in life that are good, Take time. You think about a baby. You don't want that baby coming in the first or second month. You want that baby coming hopefully by the due date and not past, which we've had a few experiences, and you just want that baby out. Hope just want to, like, cut a hole in the mattress so she can sleep on her stomach for the first time in nine months. But they just wouldn't come out. You don't want that to happen. But you don't want them to come prematurely either because there's complications. You do not want what God has promised you to come back to pass prematurely because there will be complications. That's the patience piece. Things in life that are worth anything take time. A child development, you don't run before you walk and you don't walk before you crawl. Physical health and fitness, right, Eric? It takes time. You're not going to come into the gym and start working out and a couple days later, I remember one time I started doing push-ups again and for some reason, I mean, you automatically start feeling the muscles that you haven't felt in a long time, when you start working out, when you haven't in a long time, and you start feeling like you were when you were 18. I mean, that's in your head. At least that's what happens to me. I'm like, yeah, man, I'm feeling it, you know? And, uh, and you stand up and you look in the mirror and you're looking 
okay, you know, he's like, hey, I'm looking pretty good, you know, I was feeling pretty good about myself, I did push-ups, Chris, for like two weeks, and you know, you start feeling it, you start feeling stronger, your biceps start getting a little firmer, and I remember sitting on one of my, Ava, I was sitting on her bed, waiting to put her to bed, because she was in the bathroom, I'm sitting on her bed like this, and uh, I didn't have my shirt on, and I looked up, and I saw myself in the mirror, and my man boobs are gone, and the, all the, Right? And I sat up and I had all these red creases going across my stomach. I am not moved by what I see. I'm walking by faith, not by sight. It takes time. And it's longer than two weeks, I promise you. Losing weight that lasts takes time. An education takes time. A relationship. Sociologists say it takes four years to truly know somebody. Because you've got to see them go through ups and downs and see what comes out. Waiting for the right person to marry. Investments, financial investments. The longer the better. You can keep them in investments. A championship. A team that wins a championship. That does not happen overnight. It's hard. A harvest takes three to four months. A farmer doesn't plant a seed and the next day get in his combine and go out there to reap a harvest. That's just silliness. And yet, you and I have been raised in an instant gratification culture. It did not used to be this way. The previous generations were not raised like we've been raised over the last 20 to 30 years, especially with the information age where everything's so quick. I mean, you know, Instagram, these push notifications, you know, one-click ordering, all of that is just a phenomenon. It's, just, it's so new, and yet it has completely shaped us into being people who are uber frustrated when things don't happen right away. I'm like on my phone. When my phone's not moving as fast as my fingers, and so I click on something, it's like I expected the screen to change already for me to click, and you click on something else because it wasn't fast enough. That is so irritating. But you know, computers didn't even used to exist, and we got along just fine. Everything was so much slower. But now, man, it has created deep frustration and irritation and impatience in us. But guess what? God's still the same. That's why it is so critical to set down the devices, turn off the television, and get alone with God and meditate. Be alone. Be quiet. Slow down. Shut up. Listen. Decompress. Because that's where God is. And what happens is you start training yourself, training your soul and your mind to move at God's pace. And then what happens is these things don't dominate you. You use them. They don't use you. I'm talking about electronics and conveniences. They become tools for you. You become the master of them. They don't become the master of you. But you can't be that way if you don't ever set them aside and get alone and learn how to pray and think and fast and seek the Lord and read the Word. Allow yourself to get bored. I have found that boredom, I have found that God is on the other side of boredom and loneliness. But boredom, we avoid boredom and loneliness like the plague. Got to keep ourselves busy, 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 busy. And it's turned us into a people that can miss God because God is walking at His pace. Another problem is this, and I'm talking about the relationship between faith and patience. And how so often we throw away our faith because it hasn't happened yet. And we get so angry and frustrated and we're going to miss 
God's provision because we're going to go try to make it happen ourselves because we have not learned patience. Another thing we've been taught is that we're always supposed to be happy. You can't find that anywhere in the Bible. That's why marriages now, many of them don't make it past four years. It used to be seven years. And I hear people say, well, God wants me happy. I, I don't, show me scripture and verse on that. There are times, he certainly, he certainly wants to bless you. And he certainly wants you to have times of joy. And he certainly wants you to receive, uh, experience pleasures in life. And he wants your marriage to be uh, a place of comfort and, 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 and uh, hope and refuge and your relationship with your kids and your job, if you're to prosper, all that. But many times between that reality, that mountaintop, and the desire you have are deep valleys. And marriages that make it 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, they're like, they're like, they're like good wine. Like it's better with age. What? He used to be. I'm not even going to go there. You're trying to pull me off the main road here. I'm just not going. But here's the truth. Things that really matter, there are going to be times where you're not happy. And it's hard. Ask an athlete. Ask a businessman or woman who's growing a business. And when it comes to God's will, I'm just going to tell you plainly, no pain, no gain. Look at this scripture. Surrounded then as we are, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Surrounded then as we are by these serried ranks of witnesses. Now, Hebrews 12 obviously is right after Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is the faith hall of fame. All of these monsters of faith that went before Moses and Abraham and David and Noah and all these men and women of faith that, who, who ran their race and saw God come through, who are now in heaven right now, family of God, watching us. They're listening to me preach right now. How am I doing? Awesome. They said, very good. <laughs> How are they doing? Oh, I said, you're getting it. That's awesome. That's what he's talking about here. Surrounded then as we are by these serried ranks of witnesses, let us, you and I, strip off everything that hinders us as well as the sin which dogs our feet and let us run the race that we have to run with, say it out loud, family, with patience, our eyes fixed on Jesus, the source and the goal of our faith, for he himself endured. That's the same word. Patience and endurance are the same word. For he himself endured a cross and thought nothing of its shame because of the joy. That's the goal. That's the hope that he, that he knew would follow his suffering. He knew he was going to suffer to be able to see God's full promises come to pass in his life, which was the resurrection. But it was worth it because he had his eyes on the prize. But he knew it was going to be hard and he was going to suffer. 
This is why when we don't teach our children suffering, when we don't allow them to experience loss and disappointment and negotiate, negotiate it and navigate it, they are going to they are going to fail walking with God because they're just going to be throwing these tantrums all the time. God moves at his own pace. And we need to teach our kids that life is hard. I love what Josiah said to me last night. You're not going to believe this one. I said, Josiah, when life, I said, when life gets hard, he looked at me and said, work harder than life. You ought to see my wife's face right now. Well, I said, how many of you have a 14-year-old son? Just raise your hand. That's, a, that's something, isn't it? He's getting it. He's getting it. Jesus, because of the joy he knew, would follow his suffering and is now. Everybody say now. See, now, because he endured, now he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's why the Apostle Paul encourages you and I in Hebrews 10, 35, and 36 Therefore, everybody say therefore. Whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you have to see what you're there for. You have to back up and see how you got to that scripture. Therefore, do not, do not, family of God, brothers and sisters, cast away your confidence. That's your faith. Don't cast it away. That means that we're tempted to throw it away. We get frustrated and it's taking too long and God's not coming through. And why didn't this work? And we just cast off our faith. He says, don't do that. Because your confidence has great reward. For you have need of, here it is again, endurance. So that after, after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promises. Okay, now last week I showed you an axiom that this is how faith works. Last, last Sunday's sermon was, how does faith work? And let's look at these four things. Hear it, say it with me. Hear it, believe it. Do it, see it. Hear it, believe it, do it, see it. I taught that last week. Faith comes by hearing the voice of God. You hear God's voice and then you choose to believe it. If you believe it, it's proven by the fact that you step out and do what he's told you to do. But this fourth piece, the see it piece, this is where we want to see it instantaneously. Like last week, we had an instantaneous miracle. You'll hear about it next Sunday, a testimony Sunday. Please send in to me at john at gatheringplacechurch.org the things God's showing you and doing with you, prayers maybe that have already been answered during this fast so that I can read them or you can come up here and share them next Sunday at testimony Sunday so we can glorify God with the way he's answering our prayers during this fast. And Stephanie is right. The majority of what God will do happens when the fast is over, but there's a lot of stuff happening already. And we had an instantaneous miracle happen right down front here last Sunday, and it was just it was just awesome. I mean, the husband and wife were crying. I was elated. Adrena just was shocked. She came up to me and said, Pastor John, I have never seen a miracle. I, I, I've never seen a miracle. I'm shocked. I don't know why I'm shocked, but I'm shocked. You'll hear about it next Sunday. But it was instantaneous. That's the first arrow. Don't we all love it when our prayers get answered immediately? Isn't that the best? Well, unfortunately, that's not always the way it happens. The next arrow, the first arrow is the how healings come or miracles come immediately, answered prayer. The second one is like the lepers where Jesus laid hands on them. This is so important, family of God. Listen to this. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, laid hands on ten lepers. 
One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Jesus laid hands on these real people that had leprosy, body parts falling off, and nothing changed. And then he said, Go show the priests and tell them what the Lord has done for you. And they did it. They heard it, they believed it, and they did it. And it says, As they went, they were healed. Ooh. I remember laying hands on this girl. She was young, 20-something, wanted the baptism of the Holy Spirit, wanted to be able to speak in other tongues. I laid hands on her. I felt nothing. She felt nothing. But I received it by faith for her. I said, don't shut off your faith. She was driving home on the 8 freeway. She said, right in the middle of driving home, the Spirit of God came on her. She started weeping and praying in other tongues. I had to pull off the side of the road. As she went, Don't shut off your faith just because you don't feel something or see something or hear something. The third arrow is even longer. This is like Lazarus who got sick. And they said, let's go pray for Lazarus, their friend. He's sick. And Jesus waited four days. But Jesus was waiting because he didn't just want to heal Lazarus. He wanted to raise him from the dead. Sometimes God's delay is not a denial. It's for a greater miracle. And then it's even longer. Joseph, this young man, a teenager who had a vision, a dream from God, it took 13 years for that to come to pass. Paul, the Apostle Paul, used to be Saul, a terrorist, persecuting the church, killing Christians. After Jesus appeared to him, it was 15 years before he, that was the next era, came into ministry. And then David, King David, a teenager, anointed by God, it took 20 years to become the king of Israel. And then Abraham, 25 years. And then sometimes, and it doesn't even come to pass in your lifetime. What you are believing for, your kids get. The next generation benefits from it. We're benefiting right now from the faith of Abraham, David, Paul, Stephen, Philip, Jesus Christ himself. We are the beneficiaries of their faith. Let's let the next generation be the beneficiaries, not of our doubt and fear and complaining and moaning and whining, but our faith in God. Do you know the word recovery? You know, it says lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. That's a medical term that means, recovery means anywhere from instantaneously to a gradual healing. Don't shut off your faith when somebody lays hands on you. And in fact, this morning when I was in prayer, I woke up very early and I was praying for you. And the Lord showed me a passage of scripture in the book of Ezekiel where he said, the waters flow from the sanctuary. And wherever the waters flow, everything that moves gets healed. Ezekiel 47. And I, I really feel like in the intercessors today, the people that came to pray before church service, they were, they, were, they were saying things they heard the Lord saying, and it was just what the Lord was saying to me this morning. We're at, right after I'm done teaching, preaching, yelling and spitting, anybody who has any sickness or any disease in their body, I want you to come down front. And those who were here for prayer this morning, We're going to lay hands on you. I believe the Lord showed me that there are going to be many healings in here today. It doesn't always happen right away. I've told you the story before. Many of you have heard it many times, so forgive me, but I'm going to tell it again to those who've never heard it, yay for you. But I'm going to tell you a part of the story I don't think I've ever told you. When my brother and I were in business here in San Diego, we were were going under. He, was, he had a nervous breakdown. He was laying in his bed. 
I was going into work. I was the only employee. We were selling a product here in, in San Diego. We had one store, and nobody wanted it. And then the Lord told us to start tithing. We started tithing. And this is the part, that's the part I tell you is I heard about tithing to church. I thought it was ridiculous, but I did it anyway. I didn't, have any, I didn't have even have a checking account because I didn't have any money. So I got a, a, a money order uh, because once I, once I told the Lord, I will start tithing, uh, that week I produced more than the previous two months combined. Um, and, and I gave my, you know, my money order in the offering that next Sunday. And I felt this peace. It was so hard to do it, man. I remember, I remember letting it go, and it just fell into the basket. It was so hard. But when I did it, I felt this peace inside. And now I know it was the Holy Spirit saying, you just did the right thing, son. And then I tell you, our, our business you know, ended up prospering, and I was a top salesman in the nation for four years in a row. We were on television and magazines. It was, it was a God. It was a miracle thing. But here's the part of the story I don't think you may have ever heard. After I produced more sales in the next week than the previous two months, all of a sudden, boom, it went back to the way it was. Nobody was buying. And I was checking myself. Am I in sin? Am I, what's going on here? And how come? And I was, it was so frustrating. This is the most critical piece to your spiritual walk when you're believing God for something. I want to read this to you out of the scriptures before I tell you the end of that story. Look at me with Mark chapter 4, verse 13 through 20. Mark chapter 4, verse 13 through 20 is the most important chunk of scripture in the entire Bible. Jesus said so. In this chunk of scripture, thank God I learned it when I was a young Christian. Jesus said this is how the entire kingdom of God operates. He explains how the kingdom operates. He explains how Satan operates and explains you're my part in seeing the kingdom come in our lives. Are you ready? Look at this. And he, Jesus, said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? So this is the king parable right here. The sower sows. Now I want you to notice how many times the word word is in these eight verses of Scripture. The Word of God is the subject matter of this chunk of Scripture. And I want you to key in on that. The Word of God is the issue here. The sower sows the... Every time I say word, say it out loud. The sower sows the... And these are the ones by the wayside where the... Is sown. When they hear it, Satan comes immediately. You hear a sermon on healing and they lay hands on you? You go home and you get sick. You start tithing, you lose your job. You hear a word on humbling yourself and being uh, honoring to your wife, and you end up in the biggest fight you ever had before. If you don't recognize spiritual warfare, if we don't understand how it works, a new person gives their life to Christ, they're elated, it's amazing, they go home and they tell their family about it, which is a huge mistake, and then they tell all their friends about it, and then about, no, it's not a mistake. It's a great thing. But many times they're just going to persecute you. But a couple of weeks later, a month later, two months later, all of a sudden you start doubting your faith. And oh, it was all just emotionalism. Was that really real? That's the enemy coming immediately. In fact, what I say to my team is when people come to our church, they give their life to Christ. Immediately we have to begin discipling them. 
Why? Because Satan's coming immediately to abort that new birth. This, Jesus said this. Satan comes immediately and takes away the what? The word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are those sown on stony ground who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves. And so endure, there's that word, only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation and persecution arises, say it. Say it out loud. For the word's sake, the persecution and tribulation that comes into your life after God has given you a promise or a prophetic word is for the word's sake. Satan is after the word of God in your life because he knows the word of God is the power of God. God created the entire universes with one word that came out of his mouth. Light be. That's two words. Sorry. Light be. Whoosh. The Bible says you're born again by the word of God. The Bible says he sent his word and it healed them. The Bible says Jesus is the word of God. Satan is after the word. When Satan and Jesus were having it out in the, in the desert, when Jesus was on a 40-day fast and Satan attacked him, what did Jesus use against him? It is written. And he quoted a scripture that Moses wrote 4,000 years earlier. And when people say, oh, the Bible was written by man, well, Satan seems to really honor the power of the words written by people, I guess. No, no, no. Jesus quoted the scriptures at him and it cut him. Now, how can the word of God cause the chief demon spirit to flee? It was just the words of man. No. Jesus said to him, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The Bible says the word of God is the sword of the spirit. When you quote scriptures at the enemy, it cuts him. I hope you're catching this. So important. After when tribulation or persecution rises, for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Why? Now, these are the ones sown among thorns. Those are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things, entering in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on, everybody say, good ground. That's all we want to be, good ground. Those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit, some 30, 60, and 100 fold. And when Jesus taught this again, Luke ascribed it, and he said this, but as for that seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word with good and noble hearts. That is an uncontaminated and fertile heart. And hold on to it tightly. You hold on to that word tightly, family of God. Don't let the word of God, don't let the promises go. And bear fruit with patience. Now, in this chunk of scripture, you see five things Satan uses against you and I to get the word 
plucked out of our hearts. And here they are. Number one is tribulation. And that is when you believe the word, and I explained it, explained it to you, you, you believe the word, you hear it, you believe it, and immediately trouble happens. Now, I don't want you to get afraid, nor does Jesus, he's the one that taught this, that, oh my gosh, if I'm going to believe the word of God, Satan's going to come immediately. You know what the Lord said to me once? You have more faith in the, him coming with an attack than me giving you grace to overcome the attack. You have more faith that Satan's going to come immediately than me giving you the grace to overcome his attack. The second one is persecution. These are the ones we just read in Mark 4. Tribulation, persecution, and that is people that are giving you, uh, pressuring you and persecuting you for being a Christian. And some cave in because they have no root. They don't stand the ground. Then the cares of this world, he said. The per- tribulation, persecution, cares of this world. This is different than tribulation. These are anxieties. The word care means this. It means to divide the mind, distractions, anxieties, burdens, and worries. To be anxious beforehand about daily life. It literally says that those, when you and I are consumed with the cares of our our daily life, it chokes the Word of God and it can't breathe or produce anything on the inside of us because we're distracted and scattered in our minds rather than focusing on the voice and the promises of God. The Bible promises that they that keep their mind on him will have perfect peace. The fourth attack we see in Mark chapter 4 that we just read is the deceitfulness of riches. And that is once you are prosperous, you just don't feel a need for God anymore. That's the danger of prosperity. That's why God says after you've eaten and are filled at dinner or lunch or breakfast, thank me after the meal lest you forget who prospered you. Deuteronomy chapter 8 literally teaches us that. A prosperous nation is like our nation. When you're desperate and your pioneers like the forefathers where we came over here for religious freedom, they were desperate for God. Even George Washington and the rest of them said, this will not work without faith in God. You can read their diaries, read the writings you won't read in public school, but they have Jesus and the Bible and faith in God and humility all throughout their writings. But now that we've become a prosperous nation, we just don't really need God anymore. And so we've excused him from our schools and every other arena of life that's why you and i now are brighter than ever we are the salt and the light of this world and it needs salvation and then the desires for other things is the fifth weapon that satan uses against us the desires of other things that is pleasures and ungodly pursuits they pull us off track and dull our spiritual passion you and i are going to be passionate about something our hearts are designed to be passionate for something That is why we need to subject our hearts to the presence of God and the Word of God so that the fire of God can burn in our hearts. Otherwise, it will burn for other things, and it chokes the Word of God. So Satan comes after you and I with tribulation, persecution, cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts for other things. Those are the five weapons Satan will use against you and I. That's why the Bible says this in Proverbs 4.23. Guard your heart above all else. Guard it, what goes in your eyes and in your ears. Guard your heart. Unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment, pride. Guard your heart above all else. For from it, it determines the course of your life. That's why it talks about good ground, good soil. You and I take the Word of God, 
plant the seeds into our heart and make sure our heart is good soil. And so the Word of God can grow up and move mountains. You bear fruit, 30, 60, and 100 fold. So, the next six to nine months were really, really hard after I began tithing. And our business reverted back to the way it was. Those were hard months. My brother, who was spending a ton of time in prayer because he's laying on his back in bed, he said the Lord spoke to him and said, he, he, handed, me a, he handed me a piece of paper and it said, top salesman, you will be the top salesman in the United States for this multi-million dollar corporation. And I mean, I felt like Sarah when the angel told Abraham that your wife's going to have a baby next year. It had been 25 years since the Lord promised that. And it says she was in the tent and she heard the angel tell her husband Abraham that and she laughed out loud, which is why they named their child Isaac, laughter. I just wanted to laugh out loud because it was so ridiculous that that would ever happen. Hundreds and hundreds of sales reps all over the nation for this multi-million dollar corporation. And we were the worst. We were the lowest. We were the brokest. We were the least producing uh, franchise in the country. But I took that piece of paper and I put it up on my mirror. And every day I looked at it and I believed it. Every day I would look at it and say, and I would confess it. And I would declare it until I believed it. And I stood my ground all year long. July was awful. August was awful. September was awful. October was awful. November was awful. But I believed. I remember early in this year when I tithed, and I remember God turned things around, and it lasted for just a few weeks, and then it all reverted back. What was that? Now I know what it was. It's Mark chapter 4. It took patience. And came December, and I was thinking, early December, is like, I really believed. I really thought it was going to happen. I had it. It was in my hand. And my brother and I were like, well, you know, give it the best shot. And then all of a sudden, boom, the phone was ringing. Hey, I saw your product a few months ago. I was wondering if you're, you know, I can come down and get, I said, "Uh uh-huh. As I'm on the phone, somebody walks into the office door and says, hey, I came in here because my friend told me about this product that you have. They sat down and they're buying. While they're buying, another group of people came in and another group of people, and the phone didn't stop ringing. Literally, for days, all day long, phone ringing, people coming in, people bringing friends. It was an avalanche. And in a three-week period, I outsold every rep in the entire nation who had the entire year. That's the part of the story I never told you, was the long wait in between, I believe it, and there it is. Don't throw away your faith, for in it, there is a great reward. I've used up all my time. Leave it there. Why are people laughing? I believe they're there. 
That was, that was an act of faith. I believe they're there. And look, here they are. That's how it works. Faith manifests things. Some of you are believing for things. And they haven't happened yet. Do not throw away your faith. For it, in it, there is a great reward coming. Even if it's that you see Jesus face to face before it came to pass, comes to pass and you see him. And he is so pleased with you because you believed all the way through. Well done, my good and faithful servant. But I guarantee you, as one person said, well, how long do I have to believe? The answer is as long as it takes. I believe if you make that decision, draw a line in the sand and you say, I'm going to believe as long as it takes. It's not going to take that long. Because faith will get it. And the most important thing, the most important thing out of all of this teaching today that I want to land on right here, and then we're going to call people down, and we're going to pray for you, and we're going to believe for miracles in here today, is what God is doing in you during the waiting period. Joseph was a teenage boy when God gave him a dream, and the dream was that his parents and his older brothers and sisters would all bow down to him, and they hated him for the dream, and they beat him up and threw him in a pit. He gets bought he gets, he gets picked up by, uh, by some nomads, and then they sell him to an Egyptian, and then he ends up being a leader in the Egyptian's home, a steward of his house, and then he gets accused of rape, which he didn't do, and he gets thrown into prison. Thirteen years from the time he had the dream and all this hell that took place. But all through his story, you see this phrase over and over and over, but God was with him. But God was with him. But God was with him. And then, in one day, he became the prime minister of Egypt. There are two timelines God uses. One is a gradual little by little by little by little, and then you have a full harvest. The other timeline is there's absolutely no evidence that God's even hearing my prayers. And then, all of a sudden, boom, it happens. Two different ways that God operates. But here's the point. If God did it, if God fulfilled the promise that he gave to Joseph when he was a teenage boy, he would have been a disaster, an immature, arrogant, foolish prime minister. He didn't have the character to sustain what God was going to give to him. So, while you're working on the vision, God's working on you. And he's not going to give it to you until he knows you're ready for it. And then you'll be able to steward it. It'll still be a little over your head, but you'll be able to steward it. Amen. Let's pray. I want you, I just want you to close your eyes for a moment if you would. The scripture says that The word of the Lord tested Joseph until 
the promise came to pass. Because he was making Joseph into the man he needed him to be, to be the prime minister of Egypt. I want you to close your eyes and ask the Holy Spirit this question. It's so important. What is it that you're doing in me? Or want to do in me while I am waiting for your promise to come to pass? Just get quiet and ask the Holy Spirit that. Now thank Him for it and say, do it, Lord, do that. With your eyes closed, I want you to ask this next question. What sin in your life is sabotaging your destiny? The Israelites sinned in the desert. It was only supposed to take a few days to get to the promised land. It took 40 years because they kept habitual, unrepentant sin. And they, and, and they just went around and around and around and around. What is it that you've traded in your destiny for? The Bible says Esau traded a, his, his inheritance in for a bowl of beans. What sin are you unwilling to let go of? Give it to him right now and say, it's not worth my destiny. It's not worth what I could have if I would just give this over to him. Okay, now, deep down and inside of you, make the decision and the determination, I am going to stand as long as it takes. I am going to believe. I'm not going to be moved by what I see, hear, feel. I'm going to be moved by what I believe. And I'm going to stand, even if it takes forever. I will stand until I see him face to face. Now, some of you in here today, you've never given your life to Jesus, and you're in your sins, and you have guilt and condemnation, and you don't know what's going to happen to you when you die. You don't know what happens after death. Jesus is the answer. Jesus said, He that believes in me will never die but will have eternal life. You need to come to Jesus today. He's the only one that can forgive you of your sins and get rid of your guilt. He will not shame you and he will completely forgive you, but you need to come to him. In a moment, I'm going to come right down front here with the rest of the prayer teams and they're going to pray for every sickness and every disease in this house because Jesus wants to wipe them out. And don't you not come. You, you do like every person that Jesus called in the Bible. Stretch out your hand as hand was healed. Go to the pool and they were healed on their way. Go tell the priests and they got up and moved. Jesus many times requires action on your part. I'm going to challenge you in a moment to get out of your seat. Come down front here. And let these prayer teams pray for you. And let's let Jesus be Jesus in this house today. But for those of you who have not given your life to Jesus, I'm going to be right down in the middle. 
and I want to be there for you to come, and I want you to come to me, and I'm going to pray with you to receive Jesus as your Savior. Your sins will be forgiven. God will completely cleanse you. The guilt will go, the shame will go, and peace will come into your soul, and you'll become a child of God. So I'm going to ask everybody to stand right now, if you would. And I'm going to ask the prayer teams to come down front and just line this wall. Now, the scripture God gave me today, now this is real, family. Things are going to happen. The scripture God gave me was that there was a river. It's in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 47. There was a river with trees along that were for the healing. That were, their leaves were for healing. And God said, the people that believe are the trees, and their leaves are for healing. And it says, wherever the river flowed by the riverbank where the trees were, which is the Holy Spirit, everything that moved was healed. I'm going to wait for these people to come down. They were in prayer today with me before service. And we laid hands on them, and I commissioned them as healers. Jesus is the healer, but he heals through his people. Jesus said, they that believe in my name, they shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. When you come down, it could happen instantaneously, or it could be as you are going home today, or it could be a week from now. It doesn't matter. When you come down, you believe the word. By Jesus' stripes, you were healed, and they that lay hands on the sick shall recover. Okay, now, if you need prayer, and I'll, let, me, let me rephrase that. If you have any sickness or disease in your body, come down front and let these people lay hands on you and pray. And let's let Jesus have an opportunity to do miracles. So come on down right now. Let's do this. remind you that Jesus told Gary and I to write down every sickness and every disease in the Gathering Place Church. He wanted us to write it down because he wants to heal it all. So this is what the Lord is doing. So if you have anything, come down. Let's, let's see Jesus do it. 